Welcome to Podcasts Are Wonderful, episode 28. This is one of the bad boys of podcasting series, and you're in for a real treat because this, tonight we're going to be talking about Never Not Funny, season five, episode 23, featuring Jimmy Pardo, Matt Belknap, and Pat Francis. But first, we're going to talk to my guest. He is a rock and roll god, you could say, of the 80s. He is the one, the only, Eddie Money. Welcome to the show, Eddie. Hello, people. My man, how you doing? <laughs> you know, people don't always ask me that, and I'm doing great. I'm so excited to have you on the show. Not uh, we're doing the bad boys of podcasting. We've got one of the bad boys of uh, rock and roll mm-hmm. in the 70s and 80s. Oh, you so say that. It's uh, super fitting to have you on here. I'm happy to be here. It's uh, I'm a big fan, so this is uh, this is this is good for me. Trying to get so you back out there. Do a lot of podcasts, or oh, I do, I do now. I have a lot more free time now than I used to, which is mostly spent on podcasting. Oh, really? Yeah, okay. you know. So, trying to get back out there, trying to do some more shows, some benefits, and things like that, and then uh, it's a lot of time traveling, listening to podcasts. Well, that's great. I'm sure that's been great for you. I mean, out doing all that touring gives you something to do on the bus. Yeah, you know, I used to party a lot, but... Um... Hey, we'll get to your partying, don't you worry. <laughs> I know this is a big part of your story. Your your father, grandfather, your brother, they're all New York City policemen. Um, and you even trained to become a policeman. What made you decide not to do that? Well, you know, when when serving the law and the people is, is in your blood, it's it's very hard to say no, Greggy. And I come from a long line of distinguished officers of the law, guys who really cared about the community that they were a part of and really put their, their neck out on the line to keep everybody safe and sound and uh, in one of the greatest cities in the world, obviously. So, um, you know, I I didn't really know what else I was good at because people always told me that I wasn't good at anything. So I just thought, well, you know, people who aren't good at stuff generally just become police officers, right? And so I did most of the training but then i was going out because i was partying like i said like we alluded to before you know i i I like to party a lot but i was going out and i was doing karaoke and i was singing in bands and i was trying to hone my craft and people kept saying you know Eddie, you're not really a great singer but you are a natural performer you own that stage man and so they would give me high fives and the fist bumps and things and eventually i thought man i think i can do this and my dad and my brothers and my grandfather and my family were very unsupportive they said no you can't do that that's that's a terrible idea you're not a great singer why would you ever want to become a rock star but uh i did it anyway you know i moved to california and then after several years of failing repeatedly, I got a great record contract and uh, started dropping hits like carpet bombs on America. Wow, that, that's a truly inspiring story. Were you good at police work? How, no. How can you that? no oh, I, was, I was awful at police work. Oh, I, okay. To be honest, I was drunk for most of the early to mid-70s and probably up into maybe 1979. Um 
I don't remember a whole lot of my police training, but I do remember that all of the physical activities were a little much for me, and uh, oh, really? I fell down a lot. And I let a lot of people go that I probably shouldn't have let go for things. When when I would go out with a, uh, a senior officer and we would be, you know, just doing a routine traffic stop, we would constantly get into arguments because I would try to let somebody go who I didn't think was drunk. I mean, he passed my field sobriety test, but the other <laughs> officer would say, no, we have this this thing where they blow into it and it tells us how drunk they are. And that's a better gauge of uh, how impaired someone is to really be out on the road. And I said, nah, nah, he's cool, man. Just let him go. And I think I just ruffled feathers, Greggy. I think I was just, I was a loose cannon. And a lot of police forces don't know how to deal with that kind of guy. And if you watch any cop movie, you see they do not like loose cannons when it comes to police officers. It's true. I mean, I, I care about my city. I put it on for my city, Greggy. But at the same time... I kind of play by my own rules. I dispense oh, wow. justice how I see fit, which is very little to any at all. <laughs> well, I mean, you can't make people do crimes. If, if they're not doing it, you can't just arrest them for no reason. Right. That's profiling and that's racist. And I'm, I'm not that guy, Greg. I'm not out there stirring the pot. I just wait until somebody's really, really breaking the law before I come <laughs> in and say, hey, man. Maybe don't do that so much. Next time, you're going to get more than this stern warning. Wow. With all the things going on out there in the world, I don't want to get political or anything, but maybe we could use Eddie Money, the police officer these days, you know, letting people go, <laughs> maybe not shooting them in the back because they run away or anything like that. Yeah. You know, recently I saw a picture of a, a small child of African-American descent trying to hand a water bottle to a what looked to be a riot policeman somewhere on the East Coast where apparently there are people rioting. And this is news to me as Ed A. Money because I'm very in touch with what's happening in the police world. So when I saw that picture, I thought, this guy's doing what I would do because he wasn't arresting the kid for soliciting, which he clearly <laughs> was doing. I mean, this is a public place. This is on the street. This is illegal. And I don't care if you're eight or nine years old. I'm not... You can't just sell water bottles out here, man. I saw that police officer and the other 60 police officers blocking this thoroughfare, and I said, these guys are pretty chill. So I, I salute them, and I say that uh, they're doing a great job, and maybe I need to go back to police work now, but it's it's hard once you get used to this kind of lavish lifestyle. To well, maybe you could combine the two. I think that would be like, I don't know, maybe better for a movie script or something, but a policeman who is also a rock and roll a rock star. That would be a pretty good movie, I think. I feel like it would if it was about me going on tour and I play a show everywhere I stop, but I also help every police force along the way. Yeah. Like you're not a vigilante. You are actually, I don't know, maybe you could join the FBI or something so that you could uh, help all these different precincts out, bust some bad guys. You know, that makes sense to me, Greggy, because I am kind of above the law already since I'm so famous and well-known. Mm -hmm. And if I actually did have any legal jurisdiction or um, legitimacy whatsoever, I think that would really help when it comes to dealing with uh, people on the street. You know what you could, you could call the movie? Playing for Keeps. Oh, I like that. Because uh... that's one of your albums. Yeah. Exactly. Or nothing perfect. to lose. That could also work. 
Yeah, Actually, all, all of my I album titles would work for a movie about a rock star. It's also a policeman. Yeah, I, I'm kind of thinking now that that's a perfect idea. And what I also think is we could kind of shoot it the way that Steven Seagal's police show was shot. To where it's it looks more real than it actually is, <laughs> or maybe even like Dog the Bounty Hunter, who doesn't really have any legal uh, legitimacy at all. Mm-hmm. I think if we do it like that, we can really get it out to the people. So let's just go through this discography and let's see if any of these would not fit as an action movie title. <laughs> Number one, Eddie Money. Uh, I don't know because you're, that's also your name. It's weird I've, to have a movie. I don't know. Star's name. You're saying there's not movies that are just the names of people in it? What about Forrest Gump? That movie is just his name. But it, that would be like if that movie was called Tom Hanks. <laughs> Still would have been a great movie, I think. Uh, that's true. Okay, so that's a maybe. Fight for the taking, that's a definitely, definite yes. Certainly. Playing for keeps, 100% yes. Absolutely. No control, also 100% yes. Yeah. Okay, where's the party... That one's more of a comedy title, but I could – that's like an 80%. That could definitely sneak by me. I think I can imagine a movie set in the 1980s called Where's the Party that is about police officers. Actually, didn't – wasn't there a movie recently made where uh, some people pretended to be cops and they went to a party? Yeah, there was that movie Let's Be Cops. Hmm. They should have been an action movie, and they would have nailed it. And they should have called it Where's the Party? <laughs> and it should have had exclusively Eddie Money songs a on soundtrack? the soundtrack. I would have liked that very much. Uh, so okay, what's we're next? halfway through. Can't hold back. Yes. Yep. That works. Nothing to lose. Yes. Absolutely. Right here. Mm, uh, good enough. <laughs> yeah. I think that one's more down to like 70. But uh, yeah, that could work. Love and Money. I feel yeah. like Love and Money could be the title for almost any movie, though, Yeah, right? that's true. Then we've got Ready, Eddie. Um, I like that as the sequel to Eddie Money, the first one. I agree wholeheartedly. It's a direct sequel. And then Wanna Go Back. I think that's maybe the weakest one out of them uh, for an action movie. Yeah, I don't know what I was thinking when I named that album. So, yeah, we should definitely uh, get you in a movie now that you're, you know, 60 years old. Well, this is the era of... Uh... Uh, kind of geriatric but oh, old action, action films precisely yep, exactly. so it could be kind of like your taken but oh, with yeah. uh, electric guitars and yeah it would be a uh, taken two two people taken to paradise <laughs> I, I think is what the name of the movie has to be i put it off you know i tease the people with it well let's talk a little bit about you know your partying your addiction, the drugs, all that stuff. What What do you think is the number one best drug if you just want to get super fucked up? Well, now for for me, this is, you know, it's a sensitive subject because I have been through um, multiple 12-step programs. Okay, so maybe this was a little <laughs> bit of an insensitive question. No, but no, we need to talk about it. This is important. It's, <laughs> this is it's, for the kids, okay? Yeah, it's good that we I'm get father, it out there. I want, I want when my kids to come to me and say, Daddy... Daddy, what is the best drug to take to get where we fucked up? And then I'll say, <laughs> I was talking to my friend Eddie Money. He told me the number one best drug to take is dot, dot, dot. I'm not sure. I've never taken a drug um, harder than cocaine or LSD. So, well, yeah. 
I think I think you're doing pretty good, Greggy. And what I would say is you take those dot dot dots, and you turn them into peyote buttons, and then you smash them into one thing and you ingest it immediately because that's what made Eddie Money Eddie Money in the '70s. That first three albums, I don't. I was tripping balls, Greggy. Oh wow! And you hear those guitar solos on that first album, like. This was another situation, just like my family. I was in the recording studio, and I was real wigged out. I wasn't wearing a shirt. I wasn't wearing any shoes, but I was wearing socks and some jeans. And I looked over at my producer and the record label executive that was in the room and the studio band, and I said, I'm playing that solo. And the composer and the guitar player in my band said, man, you don't, you don't even know how to play guitar. And I said, give me a guitar. And I'm going to learn it. And it took me three months. But <laughs> when I walked into that studio and I laid down that guitar track, everybody in there said, you, you nailed it, man. And they didn't at all look exhausted and frustrated <laughs> that I spent three months of time and money keeping a studio busy when we could have just hired a studio musician to do it in two hours. So that's what Eddie Money does. And that's why those albums are so good is because the first three it was all peyote buttons, my friend. And also a lot of liquor and cocaine and occasionally eating, you know, quaaludes and uh, uppers and downers. And well, I mean, you've got to, when you get the, when you get the peyote going, you got to take, you know, pop a couple of ludes just to balance things out. I, I like to take the edge off. I was, I'm a pretty chill guy. And I think that that comes through on most of my albums. And it's a good thing that uh record producing, that it's a more like a relaxed atmosphere because if they had had a, uh, no shirt, no shirt, no service sign up there just think about it those three albums would never have even been made exactly because you were in there in your jeans and stuff i mean these business these suits they don't know what's going on when it comes to rock and roll yeah the man rarely knows what's good for the people and as much as i love the man in terms of police officers and my family (laughs) this was another situation where i said you know what eddie used to dish out justice how he saw fit it is going to dish out these tunes how he sees fit. And I spoke to myself in the third person, and that's how I like to do things. Which of your albums would you say is like the best? If somebody's coming new to your discography. Put me in a, a tough spot, Greg. I mean, there's there's so many more albums than you would think that I have. I mean, there really <laughs> are. If I had to pick, I, I think the first three are very strong in terms of uh, the most creative output in my life due to the drugs and alcohol and the fact that I, I barely slept for 10 years. So if you saw any, you know, young up and comers in the, in the rock game, would you say peyote buttons, cocaine, alcohol, not sleeping, not wearing shirts or shoes, this is the way to make good albums? It took me quite a while to build up my tolerance to a lot of those drugs. So I don't want these kids to think that you can just jump in on your first day in the studio and do all those drugs at once. It's going to be a real rough road, and you're going to make a lot of mistakes in your personal life, and you're going to hurt a lot of people you care about. But those first three albums, they're all going platinum, my friend. Eventually, you decided you were sick of making good music, and uh, you wanted to get your life back in order. (laughs) That's right, yes. So you said the drugs, they have to stop. What was it that caused you to uh, decide to finally go to rehab, get into one of these uh, 12-step programs you were talking about? There was an incident in the studio, Greggy. If you recall, and I'm sure you do because you're, you're familiar with most of my work, the album Let's Rock and Roll The Place that came out in 2001 was right around the time that I went to my first 12-step program. And 
if you can't tell, that album was pretty hastily thrown together. I mean, just the title alone doesn't really make any sense. Like, let's rock and roll the place. But anyway, I had a bunch of songs that were left over from the heyday, and I was thinking, this is going to be my comeback. So I said, you know what? I'm throwing every – all the chips are in. Eddie Money's going back to work. I'm going to this studio. I'm taking it over for a year and a half even though no one takes that long to record an album unless they're crazy. And it was just another one of those things, man. Everybody doubting Eddie Money, but you know what? I put the album together, and then immediately after that, I said, I cannot do this anymore. I am too old for this many drugs, and I went to my first 12-step program, and uh, I have not been clean ever since, but clean since my third one. Great job. That's a truly uh, inspiring story for, Mm. for everyone with that monkey on their back. Mm-hmm. Or a few. Yeah, exactly. Um, if you have a nice monkey cocktail uh, riding on your back. Oh, man, I used to have the best cocktails, Greggy. Because <laughs> you could just put, because if there's a lot of stuff that dissolves in alcohol that people don't tell you about. Oh, absolutely. You get a nice uh, thing of Everclear or something. Just oh, yeah. dump all that stuff in there. Yeah. Just around a little bit, put it in the freezer for an hour. No one ever told me that. I had to Why? figure that out. It wasn't Why? until 1982 or Eddie, three when I figured flying, that. Eddie, flying. I'm telling you. Yeah. I'm sorry. I had a little, a uh, little, you know. You have an Eddie Money cocktail tonight. <laughs> um, I'm having flashbacks from my Eddie Money's cocktails. Ah. Yeah. Um, my first three episodes, the sound was, you know, all over the place. Yes, I'm finally gonna come out and say it. I was high on Jinkum that entire time, and. Uh, was this was this you know, was this homemade jinkum, or did you purchase it from a reputable source? It was a mixture of both. I mean, when I had the time, I'd make it at home. The the homemade is obviously the best. You know, when you're on the go, when you're when you're a busy podcaster, sometimes you got to take what you can get. And what I could get was street jinkum, and I would uh, you know smoke that, snort it, um, rub it on my teeth, on my gums. Sometimes I would dropped the flakes into my eyelids and uh, I was just, I was flying, like I said. And eventually I I, I tried to get this thing on iTunes and they said, whoa, whoa, whoa. We don't, we don't like what's going on in this thing. Um, And that was where I hit bottom when I couldn't get on iTunes. And so I finally just said, okay, let God and let go, you know? And uh, ever since I've been clean. Man, Greggy, that's, that's powerful stuff. I didn't realize that you had been a, a homebrewer of some some fine artisanal chinkum. Well, I, obviously that isn't a thing that you like to talk about too much. Right. What is you the know, street people... value now for uh, some of those chinkum eye flakes? Because the last time I bought them, they were pretty cheap. It's surprising. It's a lot cheaper than you would think. It's a very inexpensive drug, but uh, not on your not on your personal life and on your um, ability to get your your podcast on iTunes. Yes. Um, rather taxing physically and uh, you might be saying to yourself well greggy those three episodes are on itunes now um yes that's a very large hole in the plot of uh, what i just said and um so let's just edit that out and forget we ever said it so let's see what else, what else do we have to talk to any money about you can talk about anything you want i'm an open book to you greggy because this is the only show that i wanted to be on i got offers from all sorts of podcasts oh really Oh, oh, yeah. Podcast, were you thinking about going on? Well, Mark Marin wanted to talk to me, of course. Oh, of course, yeah. Uh, Pete Holmes wanted to talk to me, of course. Uh-huh. Uh, the Nerdist guys wanted to talk to me. 
and I think they'll talk to literally anyone. So, <laughs> and they're I, so nerdy. I mean, ugh. I know you. you that Pete Holmes guy too weird. He is very weird. And Mark Maron. What the fuck Mill is up with mouth. that guy? Uh, yeah, I, I said no to all of them because I don't care about their podcasts. And I don't care about those people. The only podcast that I would like to be on is the one I'm on right now. Well, that's wonderful of you to say, Eddie. You have all these number one hits. You were a big pioneer on MTV in the early days. But, you know, I have to wonder, what what is the thing that you're most proud of uh, across this 40-year career you have? I've been thinking about this a lot, Greggy, because... Um... Especially since you brought up this, these options for for movies and things, and going back into the police force, I think I can synthesize all of this into some sort of rejuvenated career, which is what I've been looking for. And I have to say that even though I want to push my career forward, my my proudest moment up to this point is, without a doubt, being able to license my music and also add additional composition to uh, the Paradise Hotel reality show theme song. Oh, really? uh, I don't know if you remember this, and I, I'm saying that facetiously because everyone oh, remembers course. Paradise Hotel. Um, yeah, that was the one where they, they like uh, they're pretty much forced to have sex with each other every episode, wasn't it? It was a it was a fantastic show on the uh, Fox Broadcasting Channel, and uh, and in 2003 they brought together a lot of really talented, amazing, down to earth, real people who happen to be very attractive. And the network said, you know what? We're going to call this Paradise Hotel. We got to get Eddie money and we got to feed these people as much alcohol as possible to see how many bad decisions they can make in three weeks. And I have never been more proud or more happy to sign over the rights to my music to be the front for that show and to sing any additional pieces they needed. So, what, which song did they use as the theme song? Two tickets to paradise! Of course, because of that's course, because it, it fits in because you know the people are paired off. It's true, and then Paradise Hotel. Yes, exactly. And every time that somebody would get what they wanted, they would have this very cute editorial cutscene to where someone's giving a kind of personal one-to-one to the camera, and they would say, "I've waited so long, waited so long." And then it would cut back to my song, Two Tickets to Paradise, and then it would go to commercial. So not only did I get to sell them the rights to my music for the theme song, but all of the interstitial music as well. I really, it was, Greggy, this was a fantastic show that lasted an entire season and most of a second season. And I think that, you know, despite the platinum records and the international fame and uh, all the money and drugs that I've had and all the anonymous sex with random groupies that I had. And it, that's when I felt like I made it. And that's why to this day, Paradise Hotel is kind of thought of as the Eddie Money uh, reality show, not as that reality show that was basically um, musical chairs, except for with sex. Exactly. That, that show is thought of as the... Uh, the rampant spread of HPV based on an Eddie Money soundtrack. So is there any chance that Paradise Hotel might come back at any point? I have told Fox Network every single year since that show went off the air that I am ready to go at the drop of a hat. If they want to bring this show back and they keep saying, Eddie, it's all right, don't worry about it, I'm like, no, don't worry, guys. This is coming back around. You listen to Eddie, you give me a call. 
Would you consider maybe lending your music to a different show? Is it Paradise Hotel, all the radio? That's a tough question, Greggy. Uh, it would have to be of the same caliber as Paradise Hotel. If I really saw that same spark in that kind of perfect moment, then I think I couldn't help myself. I would do it. What if there was a, a show where um, people's children were on a jungle gym and they had to hang from the bars to see who could hold on the longest? And it was called Baby Hold On. Um, do you think? Do you think you might uh, let them use one of your songs for that? I I think not only would I let them use it, but I would uh, make sure that they knew that I was available to sing the song live on premises as this competition was being conducted. Nailing, uh, Baby Hold On to Me. Oh, that's way better than I was thinking. I was thinking you'd use that uh, Walk on Water song, but that fits a lot better. <laughs> no, Walk on... I like to use... I like. I want to save uh, Walk on Water for when a church group really, really wants oh, to play yeah, yeah. music. Or they make a, you know... What was that movie? The Passion of the Christ 2 or something like that, maybe? Exactly, yeah. Because, I, I mean, I was... Well, I guess I, he died in the first one, so it would be a prequel. Well, I don't. They could bring him. He did come back, right? Yeah, but the, the time that he walked on water, I think that was before the time where they um, crucified him and you know they whipped him and all that stuff that happened in that movie. Do we or do we not have records of what he was doing once he came back? Because that was a short period of time. But maybe he walked on some water. Then did he walk like across? a couple of puddles or maybe just like a pond and some, you're right. You got me. You know, I like to think about these things, even though I'm an atheist. So great. Thank you so much for being on the show, Eddie. Um, is there anything else you'd like to talk about before we get on to the, talking about the podcast? Oh no, I'm, I'm ready and raring to go. Okay. So we'll take a little break and then we will talk about the podcast. You guys rate and review the show on iTunes, please. Come on, you guys. Okay, I'm sorry for doing that, but um, yeah, if you want to rate and review the show on iTunes, that'd be cool. I'm not going to cry about it or anything, but I'd really appreciate it. If you want to get a hold of me, just use any of the contact info you can find in the description. Oh, thank you. Uh, Bye-bye. Here's what's fascinating to me. Uh, These guys, this show, spent... Go ahead. uh, They review other podcasts. This is a podcast where people review different podcasts. Oh my god. He threw his microphone. He threw his microphone. Wow. That's on you, man. Yeah. You don't think that was serious? I guess. (laughs) Really? Well, let's end it then. That's it. Yeah. That's it. That's the end. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Never Not Funny, episode 523. Uh, had a little break there. I know the break was not announced. Uh, what happened was... <laughs> oh, it was announced. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's on you. So, today we are going to be talking about Never Not Funny, season 5, episode 23, featuring Jimmy Pardo, Matt Belknap, and Pat Francis. And this is... A bad boys of podcasting episode. For the most part, the the issue that made it a bad boys of podcasting episode kind of came out of nowhere. 
um, in the middle of the episode. So, and also my phone was giving me weird timestamps for when various things happened uh, that don't actually match when it happened in the episode. So I'm not going to be giving you those timestamps necessarily, but we'll talk about it. Uh, Never Not Funny is a show where uh, Jimmy Pardo and Matt Belknap, uh, they have a guest on and they talk about just various things that happen in their life, uh, things going on in pop culture. Once in a while, they'll interview the guests a little bit, but for the most part, it's just a, a conversation show. Pat Francis is a very regular guest they have on. For a long time, it was every four episodes. Uh, now it's just kind of as he can or whatever. You know, when you see Pat Francis is on the show, you know it's going to be a pretty good one. So, Eddie, have you ever heard Never Not Funny before we listen to this one for the podcast? I have. I uh, I enjoy the comedy stylings of uh, Mr. Jimmy Pardo, and I also uh, am pretty keen on uh, Mac Belknap as, as well. And Pat Francis is, like you said, uh, generally a pretty good guest. Now, I will say, though, uh, you said that this kind of came out of nowhere, and I, I agree the incident is out of nowhere. But in fairness to Jimmy, it did seem like leading up to that, he was justified in at least being a little frustrated with Matt. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, it, it escalated quickly, but I could see why he would be annoyed at uh, what was going on in the studio. And also it's kind of a, an early, it's one of the earlier seasons of the podcast uh, where Matt necess- right. didn't necessarily uh, have his footing in the, I think now he's, he's a top notch podcast co-host, but he's kind of grown into that role. Yeah, it seemed like it just seemed like a kind of weird episode in general, and it could just be that you know a lot of those early episodes were a little more hit or miss. Um, but it's also, I think, like what you're saying that Matt's gotten to be a better host, and and Jimmy's gotten uh, less angry over time. And oh yeah, I think Pat Fresnes, you know, probably was uh, kind of egging Jimmy on a little more than he normally would. I think. Uh, have you listened to many early episodes, or have you mostly been on board since they joined Earwolf? Mostly since Earwolf, but I have gone back and listened to old episodes of uh, some of the guests that I'm um, uh, pretty big fans of. So, you know, episodes with Scott Ackerman or Andy Daly or Paul F. Tompkins and um, some of the Pat Francis episodes, you know, they're they're generally pretty good. And, and Dave Holmes is, is almost always a great guest when he's on oh, yeah. as well. So Jimmy posited that he may be Alanis Morissette's father. I don't know. That seems pretty unlikely to me. He also gave himself an honorary doctorate in that bit, <laughs> if I'm not mistaken. Is something about Dr. Pardo Morissette or something? Yeah, I think you're right. So in that in that one uh, bit, he makes himself a Canadian, a doctor, and the father of Alanis Morissette. I think that's a pretty ambitious bit, but I'm willing to go on board with Jimmy. Yeah, I think the numbers may not exactly work out properly <laughs> for that. I don't know. There's a little bit of a resemblance. Yeah, I don't, I don't think they look dissimilar, but I, I think you're right. I think maybe Alanis Morissette is closer to Jimmy's age than he thinks she is. <laughs> Like I said, this was a, a really early uh, episode. It came out six years ago. It was in September 2009. Uh, what were you up to in 2009? Well, in 2009, I had uh, a couple of years before that, 2007, I had put out a, a, a best of album that, that flopped, and that was pretty pretty upsetting for me. But uh... <laughs> oh, I'm sorry to bring that up then. In 2009, what was I up to? I believe that might have been the very beginning, the first time I ever tried Jinko. 
Wait, but that would mean that I was doing it for six years. Never mind. No. So six years ago, uh, my youngest child would have been like five, four or five, something like that. So yeah, it would have been terribly irresponsible for me to be doing drugs. So yeah, that's when I did it, I guess. Now, I have a question about the jinkum because from what I understand, jinkum is also uh, pretty popular within the juggalo community. And I'm wondering... Did you okay, get so you're just saying I'm from Michigan. I do this drug. Uh, so you're saying let's profile this guy. He dresses yes. like a clown. Is he a juggalo? Of course, I'm a juggalo. All I right. don't understand magnets whatsoever. All right. The I next chug Fago uh, Rock and right. Rye. Uh, exactly shout out to my people. Um, Mist. Yes, 100%. Like blue raspberry, but there's Zs instead of Ss, and there's mm-hmm. two of them. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm terribly diabetic. <laughs> I drink all the soda at all times. I call all my friends ninjas. I wave hatchets around. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> this is actually a thing in Michigan. Um, you know those, you know those uh, decals people have on the back of their windows with the little stick family? Absolutely. People have those, except for with the ICP hatchet men, guys. <laughs> <laughs> this is an actual Michigan thing that happens. And, of course, because I'm such a juggalo, I think that's great, and I, I love it. And I, of course, have those. Well, now, I, I'm fully in support of the juggalos because oh, really? they know how to party, and Eddie Money likes a good party. What I think would be great, and I don't know if you can put this kind of out into the community and do some sort of grassroots campaign, but just see, fill fill the jugglers out and see how they feel about Eddie Money playing at the next gathering of the jugglers. You guys can even throw human shit at me. I don't care. (laughs) Eddie Money will play at the gathering, and I will meet you on the uh, drug bridge. Well, they're not going to throw shit at you. They got to save that for the Jankum. Yeah, making the change a little later. Yeah, but uh oh, oh, one more thing, is there a Fago flavor jinkum? That's what you call a Fago suicide. Ah, <laughs> just mix a little bit of everything. You call that a jinkum? Right on. Yeah, I mean, I could see that. Uh, usually, it's more rap and stuff like that. But uh, sure, Eddie Money. You don't think they yeah, would like can... a little uh, two tickets to paradise? How could they not? I mean, because they've waited so long. <laughs> That's a great point. I will definitely, um, I'll, I'll shoot out an email to uh, Shaggy Two Dope and uh, um, Jazzy Jay. <laughs> Jay? Violent Jay? Is that his name? I believe that's his name, yes. Okay. Well, of course I know that's his name because I'm a juggalo. Uh, yeah, I, trust, so, I defer to you. I'll send out that email. I'll let him know you're available and interested. And, oh, you got uh, everybody on a mailing list? This is, this is 2015. Everybody everybody has their iPhones. Everybody has their – well, Juggalos are more about the uh, Windows phone mm-hmm. uh, because it, it's more of a family thing. And uh, I don't know why those things connect, but that is the, the case. Windows phone is the official phone of Juggalos. Yeah, I can, I can get this to them. I'll have to look, um, look into these these window phones. Maybe these juggalos are onto something. They're the best. I have a Windows phone because I'm a juggalo, like I said. Mm-hmm. And I mean, sometimes you, you look at like a a full shelf of all these different things, and you kind of get paralyzed by all these different choices. Too many and Windows options. phone. Windows phone is great for that because uh, a lot of times, you know, there's no options whatsoever. So uh, 
you get whatever's on there when you buy it. And mm-hmm. then, you know, you can do most of the things you could do on an iPhone or an Android phone. And, but, but, uh, you get that sense of family that I talked about. And, uh, um, when you, when you go to talk to the Siri analog, it's called Cortana and that's just like Halo. And, uh, I really enjoy Halo. So that's great for me. So the guys listed off their top five favorite black actors. Mm-hmm. Um, but so now that's completely covered. So you and I can go ahead and uh, come up with who are the top five white actors out there. Top five white actors. Yes. Who do you put in number one? Number one? Are we starting at number one and not number five? Well, it's up to you. We, we, either way. Um, all right. Well, let's start with number five because okay. I, I like I like to count down sean william scott oh yeah of course the stifler uh every movie he's in he delivers he's got great timing real chiseled jaw and uh the kind of dopey sensibility that appeals to the most amount of white people who will go see this whatever movie he's in that's a great choice so then uh let's see number four i'm gonna go with uh don Cheadle. he's in those oceans 11 movies uh wait a wait a second Wait, which list were we doing again? White actors. Ooh, I think I just yeah. need a boo. Um, mm. We can sub him for, um, but you have to add another actor to the black actor list. <laughs> okay. So do we have to we do we have to trade out and put a white actor on the black actor list? Absolutely. Okay. So. So what did they list on Cheadle? Who did number two or three? Well, we're on number four right now. Right. That Don Cheadle's four. So then number three. But we have to come up with the white actor that's going to go on the blacklist now. Right. So um, maybe one of those guys on Supernatural. Maybe I was kind of thinking Jackie Chan because <laughs> oh. of Rush Hour. Great. And the amount of time that he spent with uh, Chris Tucker. Absolutely. Okay, so we're trading Jackie Chan for Don Cheadle. Yes. Great. Okay. So then number three, who would you say your number three is? <sighs> number three white actor. Oh, man. I'm going to go with Kurt Russell. I think the Snake hair. The skin. Yeah, I think the hair qualifies him as top five. And then I think the acting and maybe anything that John Carpenter made with him in it is. Yeah. Is or that movie be, Overboard with Goldie Hawn. You know what? Forget everything I just said. That's the reason he's number three. <laughs> because if there's any reason to put him in, it's that piece of cinematic history. gold. Yes. Exactly. Yes. History. It's fantastic. Top to bottom. Yep, that is 100% true. Um, number two, of course, I'm going to go with Bill Nye the Science Guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was thinking of maybe Brad Pitt or somebody like that for this spot, but no, Bill Nye, number two. So for number one, who do you think? Okay, I'm going to say it since you can't. Number one, <laughs> Eddie Money, of course, for his new <sighs> cop movie, uh, Where's the Party, <laughs> yep. coming out in 2016. You know, I I appreciate it, Greggy, and that's kind of what I was thinking as well. And you're right. I can't really say that because I am a humble dude just dispensing justice and tunes and uh, now movies. Out of respect for the exercise of naming our, our favorite actors uh, or you know, our favorite. Who am I kidding? These are undeniably the best. The best. Yeah, right. these are objectively the best. 
You know, I think it's a coin toss between uh, Peter Dinklage and Paul Walker. Well, let's give it to Peter Dinklage. Um, just because Paul Walker is dead, we don't want any ghosts on our list. That, I think you're right. They do have to be alive. So as much as I love P-dubs forever, kiss the deuces, pour a little out, I'm taking it quarter mile at a time. cry at the end of Fast and Furious 7? I cry just thinking that I'm never going to see those baby blue peepers and another gigantic screen and i'm thinking about that show that he was on where he hunted sharks with some scientists for some reason Mm -hmm. and i just i get i get real sad in the bottom of my stomach and you know i I love his work so much but i think (sighs) we got to give it to the dinkles because just killing it everywhere he goes so we got to move on where i'm gonna start right now i know i know i'm sorry greg i didn't mean to bring the podcast down Matt made Andrew Koenig do a spit take on the show. Uh, have you ever made anyone do that? I'll tell you what I told the press when I went to my first 12-step program in 2001, and that's I realized I don't need all the peyote and lewds and Xanax and lower tabs and alcohol and marijuana and cocaine and sometimes PCP and heroin, but I don't need any of that stuff. I came to the realization that I didn't need it for my quick wit. I make people do spit takes on the reg, even when I don't mean to. And sometimes people say, I wasn't laughing. I was doing a spit take because you're being an asshole and what you just said or did was absurd, and I don't believe them. They know that I'm joking around because I'm a real fun guy, and they love the way I act in the studio and when we're doing a sound check on stage and when we're touring. And even if it is a negative spit take, I guess, if that even exists, it still counts. I agree. Uh, one time when my wife and I had not been married very long, uh, we were out to eat with my little brother. <laughs> the two of us were talking, um, as as you would do, uh, joking. We, we had a bit going. This is a bit. Let me say, first of all, beforehand, before this goes any farther, this is a bit. It's not a real thing. But we were talking and having a conversation about my incredibly small wiener. And <laughs> this was cracking my brother up because, you know, we're a married couple and uh, we're, we're making these jokes. And uh, I didn't realize it, but a waiter had come up behind me and I, I said something about my incredibly small wiener. And my brother was taking a drink at this time and the, the waiter, uh, you know, I guess was looking at me in a strange way over my shoulder and my brother just sprayed soda out of his uh, nose. Ooh. And that is the most memorable spit take that I can remember ever doing. My sister-in-law also I've made do spit takes a bunch of times, but she's super easy. She'll, she'll laugh at anything you say. Oh, she's yeah. one of those people. Have you so, uh, uh, ever done a spit take, Greggy? I, yes, I have. Uh, you know what? <laughs> Listening to podcasts is not great for that mm-hmm. because that will happen once in a while. We never know when it's going to come. Exactly. It's kind of uh, it's almost like you know a lot of the this the the comedy is coming from the surprise. So I have a time code here for a bad boys of podcasting moment in the show, but it is completely wrong. It's one one hour twenty two minutes and fourteen seconds in. It absolutely mm-hmm. is not. It's more like 40 minutes or something like that. Yeah, I think it's closer um, to the halfway mark. Uh, but it's not the big one. But uh, Jimmy gets mad at Pat and Matt for trying to slip the most words in just to say things for no reason, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
And he was, I think he was right at that point because uh, Matt was being a little pedantic about things that were going on in the show. And yeah. Pat was just saying whatever came into his mind. Yeah, I think there was a perfect storm of Jimmy not being in a great mood and have already told them, like, you're bothering me, you're talking too much. And then Matt and Pat proceeded to talk more and interrupt Jimmy 12 more times. And so most of the episode is them talking about how they watch the VMAs. And I think at a certain point, Jimmy just just broke and lost his mind. Now, what if Matt and Pat actually had made it onto The Amazing Race? Wouldn't that have been great? <laughs> I, I don't think they would have made it very far into the competition, but it would have been <laughs> fantastic television. I think the amount of uh, pedantry and um, <laughs> just kind of antics that they would have would have made it well worth CBS's time. I wonder if they would have gone with the fact that Pat is a, has done stand-up and stuff like that, and Matt is such a comedy fan. And, you know, made them into the goofy pair or if they would have just been, you know, another set of people on this reality show. I think they would have either been the comedy guys, like the L.A. comedy guys, or they would have been the bad guys because they're, they would have been uh, just taking shots and making riffs at everybody else on the show. That would be great. I, I would love to watch, you know, something like that where I have a connection to it and they are the, bad, the villains of the season. Oh, I do think it would be amazing if every reality show included people from the comedy world. <laughs> they would that just would make all it make almost all reality shows better if there was someone who uh, was being snide and condescending <laughs> in in the room with the people. Because I think that would just really accelerate a lot of the stuff that the network wants to get on camera anyway. Who would be your dream LA comedy guy on, like, say, Survivor? Oh man. Um, well, you know, for me, it's it's kind of hard to say because I kind of want somebody who physically can make it through some of the competition yeah, that's on the true. show. But at the same time, you want somebody who's going to be out of the gate, like just rude as shit to people. God, I, I want to say like John Ross Bowie because he's just so <laughs> like he just doesn't care. But I don't yeah. think he's like a very physical guy. So I don't know how many of the team challenges and stuff he would be able to make it through before getting voted out. Sure. God, you know, that I'm, would be a funny pick, though. Uh, I'm, you know, somebody who could probably play the game, but that I don't think would be as funny in, the, in that scenario would be someone like Dan Van Kirk, who's okay. Uh, uh, a funny guy, but I, I think he—I think he could play the game of Survivor, but I don't think he would be very funny on the show. So I'm trying to find someone kind of. How do you think, like, say Jason Manzukis would do on Survivor? Uh, I think he would quit day one. <laughs> he seems very concerned with cleanliness, and I don't think he would ever subject himself to a situation where he would be. Oh, that's a good point. Like, you could never get Howie Mandel on there. No, Howie Mandel and Jason Mazzucas. Yeah. Now, you know what? That would actually be a better show, is if we made people who were famous but were stand. also germaphobes and uh, scared of things like that to make them do Survivor. Now that's a show. Eddie Money would do the music for that show. Do you think you would ever do Survivor? Uh, in my younger days when I was all souped up on every single drug known to man, yeah, hell yeah, I'd be out there on that island. I'd be winning uh, immunity idols and breaking alliances, sending people home, uh, giving Jeff high fives and I'd be the dirtiest person out there, Greggy. 
every time I watch Survivor, like all the camping parts, like where they're making the the fire and making the camps and stuff like that, mm-hmm. I always go, that looks so fun. I would love to be out there. But then like, uh, you know, having to listen to people talk about drama all day, that does not look so great to me. It does so, sound... It sounds like an interesting mix of actual fun and enjoyment and then as well physical labor and psychological terrorism and emotional torture <laughs> by a group of strangers that you have no real connection with. Yeah. And I think that's what makes some of it so great. But what my primary concern is always when I see them building these structures and doing all this stuff, like no one is giving them any hints or instructions. Like I can understand not giving the contestants fire, but you just expect some of these people to be able to construct a viable like structure to sleep in. And I don't know, some of it seems very strange to me. There are a lot of scenes at camp where I feel like, yeah, that wouldn't be that bad. But then they'll like give you one separate shot and you realize like, oh, this is a shithole. This is terrifying. <laughs> this is utter squalor. This is pretty gruesome. I would never want to do this. And I think... What's more interesting maybe is that by the end of the show, once you get to about day 25 to 30, like there's no way that they can hide it anymore. It's not just that the, it's not just that the camp kind of looks run down. It's that the people look so destroyed, like yeah. destroyed by nature, like um, <laughs> just like cut and bruised and, you know, they're losing weight and they're all sunburned and they're very sweaty and very dirty. And everybody just looks miserable and unhappy because they haven't been sleeping or eating properly for 30 days. And mm-hmm. it, it, there's a certain point in, in the game where you start to see people who are getting voted off, but come back to the tribal councils and they look just like they've been on vacation. They've just been chilling and relaxing <laughs> the way that I used to chill in the seventies and they look great. And then they're just sitting there and like their linens and, they're like nice clothes looking at all these dirty filthy hobo people that are living <laughs> on this island in utter squalor so there's a certain point where i'm like you know what i think i'd rather be voted off if i were on the island i want to be like the first person on the tribal council yeah but i mean there's that million dollars that's true but eddie money don't mean no i don't need another million oh, I'm, true. you're rich i'm rich as all get out my friend okay so it what my phone said was one minute or one hour, 27 minutes and 20 seconds. But what Never Not Notes actually claims is 42 minutes and 45 seconds. And I think I'm going to go with their their number for this. Uh, but there is the moment that we listen to this podcast for uh, the, the baddest of bad boy moments. Oh, yeah. Jimmy throws his mic because Pat interrupted him again. I don't think he was actually throwing it at anybody. Uh, he was just really angry. He throws the mic. Slams his headphones down, goes, you motherfuckers, and then walks out. And it goes to the the nice interstitial music for a second there. And then they come back, and I'm sorry about that. <laughs> they make yeah, nice I again. think what's so funny to me is that on the video, you get a little bit more of what's happening. On the audio, they did a really oh, good yeah. job kind of editing it and cleaning it up. And what's really great is to see it on video where you can really see – you can just watch Jimmy's face like he's getting more and more frustrated. And then finally, Pat, with that kind of look in his eye, like, I'm really giving it to Jimmy right now. <laughs> he, he interrupts him, you know, right in the middle of when Matt was interrupting him for like the 12th time. Pat interrupts Matt to interrupt Jimmy again. And you just out of the, you know, it's across the frame comes Jimmy's microphone. And then it cuts back to Jimmy and he slams his headphones on the on the table and just 
walks out and not in the sort of way that Jimmy does. Cause Jimmy is a bad boy. Um, he will, he, he will get angry and walk out of frame as a bit, but this was certainly real anger. You could tell that just like, especially if you watch it, like the look on Matt and Pat's face when Jimmy throws the microphone across the room. The only reason that it didn't smash the microphone is because it was plugged into the mixer. Yeah. But it's kind of bounced. <laughs> it really was one of the, it was a, it was a badass moment. Jimmy, Jimmy don't take no, no guff on his show. It was very funny that they came back and the first thing they did was listen to the audio of the show from when he did it. And to Jimmy's credit, he did apologize immediately and come back, you know, like seven or 10 minutes later and, and mm-hmm. they finished the episode, but it got, it got pretty intense for a minute there. Yeah, and I guess Pat actually got in his car and was driving home, and Jimmy had to call him and say, it's okay, come back, I'm sorry. Yeah, I think Pat, I mean, Pat and Jimmy have been friends for a long time, so I think Pat's used to occasionally Jimmy, because Angry Jimmy doesn't make as many appearances as he used to make, but um, there was a time when I think that was more common. I think at that point, Pat was like, you know, I just, I'll let him cool off and I'll, I'll go home, no big deal, and and Matt and poor Andrew were just left in the room like, well, are we going to do this today? Or what is, what's going on? Like as soon as Jimmy leaves the room, like the second the door closes, Matt goes, that's on you, man. To Pat. Yes. He that immediately is... just like, not even throw him under the bus. It's like a cannon that shoots Pat Francis under the bus. That's like very elementary school. Like, <laughs> Uh, I didn't do it. He did it sort of thing. And um, that was hilarious. That was one of the things that they liked the most about the recording because Jimmy obviously didn't hear that. But when they got back in the room and and played the audio, the first thing you hear is, wow. And Pat saying, "Eh, he's like, no, he was serious. That's on you, man. (laughs) Immediately like, that's all you, Pat. I wasn't talking for the first 40 minutes of this podcast incessantly. Yeah, I'll put the I'll put the YouTube link into the description. So you can go check that out right before Jimmy got so mad. He was talking about this podcast, the reviews, other podcasts. And I could definitely see how a podcast making bad reviews of other people's podcasts would set Jimmy on edge. People saying bad things about podcasts really pisses me off too. I agree. So. Yeah. They kind of make that point later in the episode. I think Jimmy talks about how mad it makes him just to hear, you know, somebody talk bad about podcasts. And then he, Jimmy made the point. It's like, well, specifically these are, the two podcasts they picked to, you know, shit on were the ones that our friends make. And that's, yeah. I think that kind of that along with like his mood or whatever, put him in that sort of state. And then he was trying to talk about something else. And instead all he got was Matt and <laughs> Matt and Pat talking, just like repeating what he's saying before he could get to what he was saying. So yeah. Do you think Jimmy would approve of the reviews podcasts are wonderful has given never not funny, you know, today and in the past? I think so. I think uh, I've got a pretty good idea of what I would I would rate it, and I think a, a you know a review from Eddie Money probably means a lot to Jimmy. He's a he's a classic rock kind of guy. True. And I believe the the one episode we did where we talked about Never Not Funny, um, I can't remember who my guest was at that time, but the both of us gave it ten. So what more could you ask for? Pat's grandma B took a three hour power nap. Personally, I'm not good at naps at all. Can you take naps? Whew, I used to not be able to sleep just in general. Oh, uh, true. I napped for 10 years, I think you said. Yeah, almost 10 years. It was pretty crazy. Um, and they said that I was sleeping, but I was definitely standing up or leaning against some sort of structure. 
I, a power nap to me is defined by the amount of time you're sleeping. So I think a three-hour power nap, that's just a regular nap, my friend. Yeah, I think that, that might there's be the no case. power involved. But that was not the most disturbing part of that story to me. <laughs> well, I didn't necessarily want to talk about uh... – Oh, with, the all bathroom this, with all this, with all this jinkum talk, you didn't want to get into the bathroom. I, nature I, I kind of have a weak stomach uh, when it comes to things that are not the drugs that I put into my body. Oh, I see. So it's got as long as it's fermented with uh, other bodily fluids, it's it's all good. But pre that, it's kind of hard to deal with. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So here's a, here's a great quote from Pat Francis: "You've done a lot of things with your penis other people haven't done." I can relate to that, brother. Uh, yeah, I was about to ask you, what's the strangest thing you've ever done with your penis? Man, one time I dipped it in cocaine and let some, were they hookers? I don't know. It's hard to say at this point, but I let some people, you know, suck some coke off my dick a couple of times. <laughs> and uh, I thought maybe after that there would be some you know, some intercourse to go along with all this weird erotic drug play. And uh, it turns out that all that cocaine really really just numbed my genitals and i couldn't feel anything down there for a couple of weeks definitely was not having any sex and it was pretty weird pretty upsetting for me i did still contract uh the clap from one of the women though so oh, yeah you can get that orally just so your listeners know okay make a note of that folks yep oh uh i also have let animals lick my genitalia but that's just okay. kind of, I think that's pretty tame, honestly. Let he without sin throw the first stone. Yeah, you know what? Uh, Jesus probably, as he yeah. would say. I don't know. I think that I'm an atheist. Be. What do I know? Yeah. What is so, uh, you like to do weird stuff with your dick, Greg? The norm, the huge. Mm-hmm. Got my wife pregnant a couple times. Yeah, that's pretty huge. Um, I do like to just leave it hanging out of my pants a lot of the time out in public, but. People don't tend to notice. Because it's such a tiny penis? Or well, whatever. I don't know about that. That was just a bit. That was not oh, a yeah, story. Oh, yeah, right. Oh, sorry. Um, yeah. Maybe one in ten times I'll, I'll, you know, thrust my hips in front of me and point down and check it out, guys. It's my dick. It's my dingy dong hanging out my sling schlong. Mm. Uh, that, is, that is like a copyrighted phrase, so please don't steal that from me. It's oh, trademarked. I understand. Licensing is very important to me. Check um, it out, folks. It's my D-Dong hanging out my sleeve. Um, no, that is, is what I call shorts. That's what I call shorts. In the ah, summer. okay. And the rhyming is for the kids because you're at parks with your kids showing other kids your genitalia? I don't, don't want to go that far. I don't want to go that far. So I'm not going to say that I do that out at parks with kids. Right, right. <laughs> But in a Walmart, definitely. Oh, anything can go down in a Walmart. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm one of the only people that isn't doing it in the nine out of ten times when I'm not. Yeah, uh, I would think you're probably that's probably pretty conservative for some of the WalMarts I've been in. Well, yeah. you are a family man, so you got to have some, you know, self-respect. Exactly, and I try not to do it when I'm out with the kids. Uh, when it's just me and my wife, absolutely, it's her oh, yeah. idea half the time. Definitely. When I'm with the kids, no, I. I just tuck it in my back pocket. We're on with our day. Yeah, she's a pretty Randy Mrs. Um, Randy isn't even the word, buddy. Right. Yeah, we've had we've we've had three kids. We've had sex at least seven times. Oh man. Okay. That's crazy. Uh, I'm not gonna say the exact number, but seven minimum, buddy. Wow. Okay. Well, I've only got one kid, and I'm gonna say, uh, you know, with my wife. Of course, I had 
lots of weird, gross sex. Well, you're with a rock Yeah, I mean, but with my wife, I'm, I'm I mean, never going to compete with you. I mean, with my wife, I'm 10, 12 times, you know, only one kid, but hey, Holy you know, moly. they're blaming that. They keep, they keep saying, Eddie, you're... Okay, you uh, don't want your kids to hear this, okay? You don't want your kids to hear you've had sex 10 or more times with their mother. That's true. I, you know, I probably won't tell the people closest to me to listen to this because <laughs> it's been so... We got real. We got real. Yes, it's so in-depth and... It's so uh, just kind of raw that I don't I don't want people to think that you know that I'm out there trying to make them look bad. I'm just trying to tell my side of the story the way things were. This was like we said six years ago, 2009, and in this episode, Jimmy claimed to be 43 years old. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know what what bit he was doing, but we all know he's 41 now in 2015. Yeah, so I don't know what he was thinking. I think maybe what happened was that uh, he was editing his own Wikipedia page to try to make himself look older because he's kind of a young-looking guy. Yeah, more distinguished. Yeah, I think. The roles. Yeah, I think when the podcast was starting out, he wanted to, because uh, you know it is kind of an earlier episode. I think that he wanted to appear distinguished and not elderly, but in a kind of authoritative wise man position, somewhat based on seniority, also skill, obviously, and talent. But I think you know at first he wanted to he wanted to make people uh, respect him and understand that he's he's Papa Pardo and he's in charge. And I think now now that his um, you know his reign as as Papa Pardo has been completely legitimized and everybody knows who he is and everybody loves what he does I think he can kind of lean back on and say you know what guys it's it's you know I love I love all the attention and respect I get but I'm actually younger than I look I did all this and I wasn't even as old as you thought I was <laughs> and, and people he's more me. he's closer to that age now Yes. So it's kind of like, okay, I can let the truth out. Because in Hollywood, they just want you older, older, older all the time. Yeah. They're constantly saying, can we find another middle-aged white actor in his 40s, please? We need mid-40s plus white guy actors. And there's always a shortage, and it's kind of like baseball. People are going to lie about their age to get in under the wire, you know? If Okay, so that brings us to the end of my notes and we can start looking into getting to our reviews so let me explain to you the rating when it comes to a bad boys of podcasting episode usually how we rate it is on a one to ten scale uh and then we stick to the eight to ten range because podcasts are wonderful we should not say mean things about podcasts uh insulting a podcast like never not funny is like let's say my grandmother having cancer and uh being really sick and you saying mean things about her but because it's a bad boys episode we are not rating how good this podcast is we're rating how big of bad boys jimmy matt and pat were you know were they stinkers were they naughty did they get up to some hijinks some shenanigans and we're gonna rate it on a one to ten scale where 10 is the, the absolute pinnacle of naughtiness and bad boy attitude your most rude crude and immature guys are going to go up there at the 10 spot and then one would be like just a normal person maybe even like a sweet person someone who uh maybe a goody two shoes we'll say so 
Would you like to go first, or would you like me to rate the podcast first? Uh, I can start. We all know podcasts are the best, so let's rate this show from one to ten. But don't go too low when you rate, my friend, because then one to four wouldn't make much sense. It's ready. I'm I'm fully confident giving this. Uh, Episode of 10, Greggy. I'm going going hard 10, and I'll tell you why. We've got two different kinds of bad boy naughtiness, stinkerness, and general tomfoolery going on here. Jimmy, okay. we'll get to second. First, Matt and Pat. They were being real stinkers <laughs> for most of the show. Even after the incident, they were still pretty annoying to yeah. Jimmy on, on purpose. It's like nothing changed. <laughs> Yes, it's it's almost as if they leaned into it more. <laughs> um, and so for that, I got to give them both a solid 10. Now, Jimmy showed why he is one of the number one bad boys of podcasting, and that's because he don't take no shit from nobody. Not even Pat Francis, one of his closest friends, and Matt, one of his good friends and business partners. If you come at Jimmy with some of you, that old whack-ass shit, he's throwing a microphone and he's storming out of the room. And that is pretty naughty, although not necessarily so much stinkery. You know what? I think you swayed me. I was thinking about giving it a nine because, like, nobody got murdered or anything. But I don't know if, if that should be the, the scale necessarily. Like, <laughs> Wait, uh, it yeah. is murder now? <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking 10, no. I mean, I don't know, I don't know if I would even cover a <laughs> like a snuff podcast. A snuff cast, yeah. Well, hey, so, you know, I, I'm going to say that. a 10 because, yeah, like you said, physical violence actually occurred um, to this microphone, not to a person, but mm -hmm. it was there. I mean, it could have hit somebody. It didn't, Very but much it so. could have. Oh, yeah. uh, and like you said, Matt and Pat, they were being complete and utter stink pots. They were talking, interrupting. Um, well, I don't know if talking counts, but interrupting definitely counts. And they were really pushing the buttons of Jimmy Pardo, a really great comedian. So I agree. On the bad boy scale, this episode was a 10. So, Eddie, thank you so much for being on podcasts. are wonderful. Is there anything else you'd like to talk about before we end the show? I just want to say thanks for having me on. Like I said, this is one of my one of my favorite casts. I think you do a really good job of getting some really, some really just big-name guests to come in and keep it real with you and uh you know even when you have someone relatively unknown like a, an andy niece um you you do a good job man you're always you're well, always bringing the truth greggy you know so he wrote my theme song so it was kind of like a let's keep him happy it was like yeah let's let's get him on let's yeah. let's do it it was it was kind of a jury duty episode but uh you know he did a good job i was happy to have him on well, I assume that because he's also a juggalo, he, he was doing it kind of just like, you know, uh, as a favor because you guys have that sort of extra bond on top of uh, the podcasting. Yeah, I mean, he was already over listening to records with me. Uh, I've got all the ICP discography on vinyl. 180 gram vinyl? Absolutely. I just popped that on and I listened to, uh, you know, them talk about you know, being murderers and clowns and magnets and such mirrors, yeah. <laughs> magnets and Jesus. Somehow that's come into play mm. in the later years. Do you um, think maybe that's how he was walking on water. 
Is that what my song is about? Magnets, maybe? Eddie Money does not uh, have magnets work either. Could be. All right. Okay. So, Eddie Money, thank you for being on the show. Listeners, thank you for listening. And we will talk to you next week. Uh, bye-bye. Bye-bye. And I had to save it for the very end because I was just so freaking teed off. But my friend Bruce Reed Robinson was supposed to be on the podcast this week, but he decided to go to his big Amish retreat because he's such a, a technophobe. And, yeah, he, he was churning butter and barn raising and uh, going on buggy rides and stuff. Um, yeah, he's a real asshole is what I'm saying, and I'm angry at him. So I don't want you to get a hold of him, but even if I wanted you to, you couldn't because this son of a bitch is not on Twitter. He's not on Facebook. Um, I don't even know if he has an email address. So, Bruce, forget you. You're never coming on the show. Well, actually, I'd love to have you on the show. Please come by anytime. Thank you for listening. I'll talk to you later, folks. Sim!